The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. This is Joni Siegel, and with me today I have my co-host. Jason Good, here in the studio with you. Exactly, and it's always a good thing. And this is episode number 124. Unbelievable how far we've come. Yep. So we are almost two and a half years, not quite, but almost. I figure a couple more episodes and we'll be halfway through our third year. That's incredible. I know. Still amazes. Still amazes me that we have this platform every week to speak on and that I now have a captive audience I get to rant to about the latest things that are happening in this drug crisis because lately I've been writing blogs. Well, I always write blogs, but lately I run out of ideas. So I ask a guy that works in my office, you know, do you have any ideas for me? He'll always give me some like off the wall thing that's going on that apparently I didn't know about. Like the bed bugs, like the smoking bed bugs thing. Right. That was from him. He's like, that's a thing. You should look it up. I'm like, well, it's not really a thing, but thank you for the, the topic to get upset about. But th- this, this past week, he said, have you heard about people smoking bug spray? I said, stop. There's, there's absolutely no way that's real. I refuse to believe it. He's like, just Google it. So I Googled, I begrudgingly Googled people smoking bug spray and it is 100% a thing. And what people are doing are spraying wasp spray on like a screen door and like electrifying it somehow. And somehow they, they crystallize it and they smoke it or they shoot it. And it's supposed to give you a cheap but meth-like high. And at that point, I lost faith, <laughs> I lost faith in humanity. Uh, but it's like I get that like, okay, drugs are essentially a poison. But this is like this is like poison poison. This is like this is something designed to kill an insect. And you're going to stick it directly in your veins for a cheap meth-like high. And it's like, oh, God, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and it's it was happening. The story was out of Georgia. And apparently there have been overdose. I don't know, can you call that an overdose? I don't even know if you call that an overdose. What, if but you die? If you die from, from shooting bug spray, like, like, po- like, like bug spray, like insecticide. I don't know if I don't even know what to call that. I don't know if you call it an overdose or just death by poison. Either way. It, it, the story was out of Georgia, but there's deaths in Georgia. There are deaths in West Virginia and some other places. And I was just like, this boggles my mind that people are smoking bug spray now. Totally bizarre. I never thought I'd ever say that. Totally bizarre. It's a bizarre world we live in, Joni. I know. But I got a, But I, hearing you say that, got a great idea for a, um, for a horror story. Somebody does that and they turn into a giant wasp. Oh, yeah. Based like like on Men in Black. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like exactly. Now, truth is stranger than fiction. I mean, some of the things that have come out of the drug crisis are so bizarre. It's like you can't write, you can't make this stuff up. Right. Even like the fact that like 7 billion pills have been, you know, run through American pharmacies. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. But, you know, I still think that what we do, you and I, what we do at Narconon, and just kind of as like people with the viewpoint of the fact that there's hope and that things can be done. This group of people, we are making progress. It's not all bad news. We are making progress. We are moving forward, but it's a giant like David and Goliath situation. Yep. If you look at, we're much smaller than what we're fighting against, but every day we engage in the fight and we kind of chip away at it a little bit more, a little bit more. And as I use that kind of uh, David and Goliath reference, we can all remember that David wins anyways. So it's all a matter of time before we triumph over what's going on out there. Exactly. And you know, it's funny when you say you can't make this stuff up. Um, I just did an interview that went up last week 
with a woman in Miami who owns a school. Every year, the drug companies come in and offer her $5,000 for every student that she will have fill out this mental health assessment and ultimately get on psych drugs. That's awful. $5,000. A person. A person. Yeah, well, I mean, they're going to make the drug companies way more than $5,000. Well, and and her, she's one of the few, I think, in that area that doesn't do it. She says most of the other ones will do it because they need the money and they want yeah, the money, but she exactly. won't do it. Anyway, you're right. You can't make this stuff up. Well, we have an interview today. We have it with um, a fellow named Eric Burgess, and his um, organization is the 108 Challenge. Now, I did a mini interview on Eric at the Drug Prevention Summit because he was one of the speakers there. But um, Eric's the founder of the 108 Challenge. It's an outreach designed for addicts to help them stay clean one day at a time. Eric serves as a peer support person and provides resources and tools to help individuals find recovery. For 27 years, Eric, about 27 years, that's a long time. Eric battled a crack cocaine addiction and experienced devastating consequences as a result of his drug-filled lifestyle. He overdosed in 2018, where he found rock bottom, or as we say, his point of no return. And thanks to an EMS worker, he was revived by Narcan, and that opened the door of opportunity to a desire for him getting clean and sober. And um, the 108 Challenge was born on day three of Eric's recovery. Wow. It began with him marking three stitches on a baseball and discovering there are 108 stitches on a regulation size baseball. Eric marks one stitch for every day he is clean. He found this tool can help others stay sober and that sometimes simple things can have a great impact. So let's get Eric on the phone. All right. Awesome. What was the other gentleman's name? So, Eric, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, as I mentioned to Jason, I got a little bit of your story at the um, Drug Prevention Summit, but um, this is where we're going to, we want all the gruesome details of your story. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me today. Absolutely. So the, so the way I um, usually start these interviews is I ask you to kind of start at the beginning, and how did you get started on the road to drug addiction? Well, my story's a little different, even though, um, you know, it's a story of many out there. Um, you know, I, I was the youngest of five. I grew up in the Raleigh Dump, North Carolina area. Uh, you know, we, um, we attended ball games, uh, church vacations and a lot of family outings. Uh, I had three older sisters and a brother. Um, two of my older sisters went to NC State. My uh, youngest of the three sisters went to uh, dental school at UNC Chapel Hill, my brother, uh, to UNC Wilmington. And then I kind of went to the School of Hard Knocks. Um, but before I get there, you know, um, you know, like I said, we were just the regular family. I, my dad was 51 when he had me, so I was one of them his kids, but I was the youngest. Uh, I was a prominent baseball player coming up. Uh, I was very active in the sports. Um, um, but uh, anyway, uh, 1981, uh, we were visiting my parents' uh, family in the Thomasville, North Carolina area. And we were traveling back one Sunday afternoon. And um, we were coming up on a hill. Uh, it was a you know, double lane road. And uh, a gentleman was passing in a no passing zone. He was intoxicated. He was doing about 80 miles an hour. Uh, and then we were coming up on the other side of the hill, and um, 
you can imagine what happened at the top of that hill. We we collided with a head-on, you know, you know, head-on impact. Um, the uh, driver of that other vehicle was killed instantly. Um, I ended up breaking my arm, three fingers, stitches in my head. My mother, she wasn't so lucky. She went through the floor of the van. She crushed every bone from her hip down, and having still rods in her legs and uh, things like that. So she was in the hospital bed, you know, for about two years, um, and then. Wow. And then my dad, he developed Parkinson's disease at this time. And back then, they just didn't have the proper uh, uh, medication and research for that. So anyways, my daddy came kind of abusive and stuff like that. My parents, they would separate and, uh, about the age 13. And that's where I, you know, started picking up, you know, marijuana and alcohol and experimenting a little bit. Um, I always, you know, hung out with older crowds and, you know, uh, um, and then, and then by the, so by the time I was 15, um, I started dabbling the cocaine. I was selling cocaine and, and marijuana and drinking at the time. And, you know, when I got my license, I got a DUI a month after I got my license. Uh, and back then it was very, you know, I was shamed and, you know, really looked, you know, frowned upon. So, uh, uh and, and then by the time I was 18 years of all, of age, cocaine and crack cocaine kind of had me in a chokehold. Wow, and then that led me, that led me down a long line of addictions from heroin to to, to marijuana and cigarette smoking and everything in between. Um, but um, you know, so you know, I'll fast forward to 2004, and in between that time, uh, as a high school student to 04, I you know I would bounce around, being in and out of jail for petty little charges, and always thought I had a grip on my addictions, and you know, but you know, and, and didn't you know. And it was just, I was addicted to the lifestyle as much as I was to drugs. And I had all these deep-rooted issues I didn't really, really know about. And, you know, so, so anyways, in 04, I was arrested for possession and attempt to sell, maintaining dwelling and trafficking crack cocaine. Um, and uh, so there I would spend about four months in county jail. And, um, you know, uh, you know, my first major offense. So, you know, the courts would have a little bit of mercy on me as long as I was released into a program. So there I went into a program where I, uh, I worked in a foundry uh, busting sand molds, and that's where they pour hot aluminum and brass into sand. And I was the guy that swung the 22-and-a-half-pound sledgehammer. Probably shouldn't have told him I was a baseball player. <laughs> but um, with, with that being said, here I am busting sand molds, getting these parts out of these sand molds. So anyways, I do that for 10 hours a day, right at 12 months, and I get released, and, you know, here I am back into my life. But, you know, no proper housing, you know. No, no assistance or anything like that. Here I am thrown back into the world trying to make it again, and bam, next thing I know, I'm right back into my addiction. And so um, let me fast forward to early 2018. Uh, same pattern, burning all my bridges, broke, begging, and borrowing. Uh, um, I was uh, working the tree business. It was about the only job that I could find. It paid out daily. So I could get money every day. Right. And there's a lot of drugs in the North Carolina area that uh, that float around the tree business. And so... Um, you know, uh, here I am, <clears throat> I'm now fit, you know, in my life where I'm, I'm working the tree business, I'm selling drugs, doing everything I can to support my habit. So anyways, I lived with about 11 other guys in a house and, uh, all of them, all of them were, you know, were heroin addicts. Uh, and, uh, so during that time of about a year and a half leading up to 2018, I'd watched about 11 overdoses. I'd watched four people die that we couldn't get revived with Narcan and EMS was too late to get there. And it was a Thursday afternoon. I'd never forget it. Um, I, um, you know, you know, was using as usual, and uh, the fentanyl was it was in my cocaine. And so when I smoked it, it uh, basically killed me dead. And so there I was laying in my, my room. Uh, you know, when a roommate walked in, they saw me uh, there. Um, couldn't get me revived. They had to they had to call EMS. And um, anyway, they had hit me with Narcan twice. And so. 
so you know that's a little taste of my story and that's kind of the rock bottom you know for me of 25 plus years of addiction that i felt like i've i needed a major life change okay now eric i'm gonna i i I thank you for telling all of that but i i have to backtrack just a little bit when you say you're like addicted addicted to the lifestyle what does that mean it's not like you are uh, a millionaire having big parties snorting cocaine what does that mean what's the lifestyle there jason does that do i totally get that i completely get that okay all right i I, I 100 percent understand what he means i'll let him tell it though okay go ahead yeah absolutely so you know from a person you know in substance abuse as long as i have you know you know whether it be you know the women whether it be the no rules you know know, nothing applies i see the, the the whole rush of it um you know staying up you know uh numerous days at a time um you know uh walking in a room and you know you having the pocket full of dope you know and uh, having kind of all the control and power i you know, got I, it i kind of explain it like this you know and, and now to look back on it was more of a hijacking of my mind that i that i kind of can, can chalk it up to because you know i could be in a room during my full active addiction and you could put my family and my son and a, a towel and a bar of soap and food and want to hug me and I can be sitting on the other side of the room and I won't even get up to go receive any of that love. Wow. But you let the dope man, you let the dope man call, I'll walk clear hundred miles to go get it. And so that was kind of the whole, you know, hijacking of my mind and my brain that, you know, you know, it kind of just had me in a chokehold. That's, that's why I use that term. Okay. All right. Is that what you were thinking, Jason? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. Because there's literally nothing extravagant. Uh, I can't even talk. There's literally nothing extravagant about my life as a crack addict. But right. there, in your head at the time, there's so much pleasure involved with the having no responsibility, kind of flying by the seat of your pants. You know, that feeling when you just get an eight ball of crack in your pocket and you're good for a couple hours, like that kind of thing. Absolutely. That's what you're living for. Interesting. And so in that moment, you're like, this is great. This is awesome. I don't have responsibility. I don't have a family or kids or anything like that. It's just me and whatever I want to do. And it, it kind of snowballs from there. Interesting. And uh, no, I totally get it. Okay. All right. I just, I, I, for some reason, if someone said that before, I missed it. I didn't, I hadn't heard that expression before but it makes it makes total sense so it's more than just a drug addiction it's it really is addiction to the whole lifestyle and that whole operating basis right. if you will absolutely eric when when you were in the place where you were um breaking up the the sand molds was that a treatment program yeah so there was a program here called the malachi house and um you know basically it was more or less court ordered um you know, and, and what they did, it was a faith-based community that housed men and, and this place, you know, provided me a room and food and some discipleship classes and, and things like that. But I worked 10 or 12 hours a day to pay for my residency there. Oh, okay. And so although it had some guidelines, I basically worked the entire time and I really just entered the program so that, you know, for me, I looked at it like if I go to this program and I do this, when I go back to court for these charges, you know, the courts may have mercy on me, and I was exactly right. And ultimately, that was not, you know, what I needed, but, but that was my thinking behind it. Right. Was that your first attempt at rehab, or had you done rehab prior to that? No, no other rehab prior at all. You know, again, I never had any 
intentions of cleaning up at that point. Um, you know, when I did get in there, I did have some transformation and, and I, and, and they did teach some, some tools for triggers and things like that. Um, you know, again, I just think busting those sand molds and being in there working like I did, you know, I just kind of got angry. I did, I didn't, you know, I didn't work on me, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I didn't work the program. I worked my program in there and it just, it just didn't take and have an effect on me. I see. Just a reminder that you are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast, go to theaddictionpodcast.com or visit and like our Facebook page by the same name or email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or call us at 727-314-7080. For further information on Narcan on Suncoast, call 877-339-3324. Please subscribe to the Addiction Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Do you have a loved one struggling with drug addiction or alcohol addiction and you've tried everything to help them and failed? Bobby Newman a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast for a 10% discount or Go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. That's newmaninterventions.com, N-E-W-M-A-N-I-N-T-E-R-V-E-N-T-I-O-N-S.com. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Do it today. So really when when you overdosed and died that would be mm-hmm. your point point of no return if you will which is you know kind of what we want to know. Jason has a question for you Eric. Yeah, you're talking about Absolutely. you're talking about your overdose and something hit me. So I write a lot of articles and I I do a lot of education with the public and you said that you had smoked crack that had fentanyl in it and it caused you to overdose, correct? Correct. Okay, so there's this misconception out there that you can't smoke something with fentanyl in it and have the fentanyl actually affect you because the drug gets cooked off and it's just a, it's 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 false information. But here we are with you saying, no, I smoked crack that had fentanyl cooked into it and it caused you to overdose. Correct. Now, whether it was laced, whether it was powder, whether it mixed into it and I placed it on there. Um, absolutely. I mean, they found the smallest trace of fentanyl in my system at the hospital. And, um, you know, and and I, you know, I wasn't an opioid user. I wasn't a heroin user, although I smoked it and tried it back in the nineties, you know, I was more of a crack. I'm an upper guy, you know? And, uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, that's definitely false. I mean, you know, I don't know about the myths of people touching it and things like that, although I did handle it a little bit, but I know for a fact that that's what caused it. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, uh, Narcan does not have effect on, uh, on, uh, on, on meth and crack and other drugs. It's strictly an opioid uh, reversal. And that's exactly what it took to, to get me revived twice, to be exact. Interesting. Well, there you go, listeners. You've heard it here. If you, are, um, if you think that you cannot actually 
die from smoking fentanyl, there you go. You actually can. Yeah, because that, that argument's come up so much with like uh, certain communities around the country finding uh, fentanyl-laced marijuana, and then people love to go into a tizzy. There's one I'm talking about weed, mm-hmm. and two people are like trying to prove me wrong that oh, there's no way you can overdose by smoking uh, marijuana laced with fentanyl because as soon as you light it and you smoke it, the fentanyl cooks off and all that. But clearly, it's not true. There you go. Okay, so you're you're back. You um, the Narcan brought you back, and then what happened after that? So yeah, I would spend you know right at five days and in, in the hospital, and I would actually suffer a few many strokes there. And you know, being a person in my addictions, obviously, I'm one of many, but didn't have any insurance, so it wasn't a high priority. And was finally released, you know, after I was kind of stable, and you know, I led my way back to to to, to my mom's place, and there. You know, I, you know, broke, busted, disgusted with the clothes on my back. Um, you know, like I said before, I was a, you know, a baseball player with all these high hopes coming out of Raleigh-Durham. And, you know, so anyways, um, you know, I, I just got going through some of my old baseball paraphernalia. And, you know, I had an old home run baseball there that, you know, my mom's place. And I would toss it around. And, and, and you know, I was a, you know, a, 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 you know, a crack cocaine addict. And, and so, you know, an alcoholic. So I, I didn't really go through any major withdrawals. I did probably go through like a 16, 18 hour of just really hot fever, sweats and stuff like that, but nothing like a, a opioid uh, um, uh, withdrawals. And and so after that kind of cleared about two or three days later, um, you know, I, I was picking up a baseball and I'd mark, I just randomly took a pin and marked three stitches on a baseball. And, you know, and so anyways, I get, I couldn't remember the last time I was three days clean. And, and, and then, so here I am, you know, I get 11 days in. And this is all on the process of, hey, something simple might have a big impact on me. Going back to something that I was always good at. Here's a concrete item in a baseball. I just marked 11 day, days clean. I don't remember the last time I did that. Hmm. And, you know, I just overdosed, you know, you know, a week prior. Right. So here, here I am going, well, you know, I'm going to mark every one of these, but I don't even know how many stitches are on a baseball. So I have to Google it. <laughs> and come to find out on the Major League Baseball, there's 108 stitches. So that kind of birthed the 108 challenge was to think that I could take something and I could mark it every day. And so here I am handing it out to a few individuals. And I said, look, will you mark this with me? Because now I need accountability. I'm not going into a program, not a big AA, NA, just that, that guy. Although I'm for whatever works and whatever helps you. Right. I think you need to do more, more of that. Right. So not to, 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 um, in any way, shape, or form, saying that any type of rehabilitation is not beneficial or helpful. That's not what I'm applying. I'm applying that I feel like felt like that maybe I could give this thing a shot. And so um, here I am. I have four or five people marking the baseballs with me. And, you know, you know, we, we get in the thing of like, you know, and, and I never intended to share this or make this a tool for anybody but myself. And so as I, you know, started sharing, you know, what I was doing and, hey, back and, hey, this, that, other, hey, you know, things just started opening up in my life a little bit. And I, I got shown a, you know, a lot of grace that maybe some people didn't. And so the next thing I know, it just burped the 108 challenge. And, you know, um, I ended up drawing a, a logo and a design. And, and that's how that thing got started. And again, I just created it for myself. But as I started sharing it, people said, hey, you know, let, let's get this thing out there. Let, let's see where we can go with it. And that started the process of a recovery tool, the 108 challenge. I like it. How many stitches do you have marked now? Oh wow! So I'm on my fourth baseball. So oh my! I'm not a big I'm not a big guy on 
uh, recovery dates, but uh, August 3rd makes one year exactly. Okay. So uh, we're two days away uh, in a few hours. Who's counting, right? Yeah. Um, I'm clean. I'm clean today. And, you know, people, people ask me a lot of questions, you know, you know, why the baseball? Well, one, you know, I have a love of the game and, you know, that, that's the biggest thing, but, you know, but more importantly, you know, you know, life comes at us fast. You know, we all can relate to that. Um, you know, life can throw us some curves, you know, things that we just don't expect. And then when we use drugs and alcohol to an excess in any way, the bottom will and can fall out on you. And every five-year-old can relate to that. So this was an iconic tool that created integrity, courage, accountability, and something iconic that I can work through every day. I wake up by morning and I, and I make my bed like military style, and I end my day by marking a stitch. Wow. And that's something that I look forward to do. It's just, you know, I need a sense of accomplishment every day in my life. And so I like to check things off the list. I like it. I think it's a great idea. Eric, you said you have a son. Yeah. So, yeah, he just graduated. Uh, yeah, was able to be clean and sober for his graduation back on June 8th. That's awesome. And, uh, so, yeah. No, thank you. Um, so, yeah, along the way, I managed to have an awesome son. Imagine that. Awesome. And uh, presumably you're teaching him some of the lessons you learned so he doesn't have to go down the road you went down. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't hide anything from him. Um, you know, I was reading some statistics the other day and, um, you know, I, I, I was actually jotting them down. You know, 71% of teenage pregnancy, 71% of high school dropouts, 63% of youth suicides, 85% of youth in prison. 75 of youth and substance abuse programs, and 75% of all children living in poverty. These are all statistics, you know, and I'm not really big on numbers, but it was there, and I read it, and I jotted it down, from growing up in a home with an absent father. Right. And so my son is kind of beating all them odds, but I don't have anything from him. And in a weird kind of way, I think he's kind of scared to, you know, turn out like his dad so, <laughs> right. uh, or, or take the path that his dad took and uh, – it might sound a little different, but it's true. I, I know. I, I understand. Eric, if people want to find out about um, the 108 Challenge, how do they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, So I want to answer that question and add something else if that's okay. So sure. um, we are on Facebook. Um, it's a business Facebook page at the 108 Challenge, the number two. And so we post a lot of stuff on our page, whether it be events we're going up to and um, just, you know, random stuff that we post that gives you literature about, you know, uh, addictions and substance abuse. And, and we, we post positive, positive stuff as well. Uh, then also on, the, the Insta- on Instagram, the 108 Challenge, um, we have a direct line that we use for peer support uh, here in our area, plug people in on resources, connect them with different things in our community that maybe they're not aware of. Um, and uh, so it's a direct line at 336-807-6744. And our email is the108challenge at gmail.com. Awesome. Give the phone number one more time, would you? Yeah, direct line is 336-807-6744. Perfect. And Eric, the way I kind of like to end these um, interviews, unless you have something else you want to say, and you can do that as well, but if you just could give one message out to our listeners and I always think that most of our listeners are probably loved ones of addicts. We may have some addicts who listen, but I think probably the greater percentage is people who know someone who's addicted and they don't know what to do. Um, Give them a shout out. What would you want to say? 
Well, you know, I think, number one, um, you know, when we talk about prevention, I think it's to have, you know, um, education, awareness, and listen to those that have kind of been there, done that. I think there's something to said about somebody's walked the shoes of a life of substance abuse. And so, um, you know, ask those hard questions and things like that. You know, and personal growth is huge. You know, understanding yourself, um, approving, you know, improve your awareness of life, um, working on your attitude daily, uh, believing in yourself and the potential you can have in your life every day. Uh, develop life coping skills every day. Set goals. And, and, and you know, and begin your day with a positive mindset. Um, you know, I think that's huge. When we talk about recovery, you know, recovery is different for everybody. And, you know, I think that there's not any one size fits all. I think it takes a collective things to help somebody have sustained recovery. So with all that said, I, I, I want to share this. And, and um, you know, one of the things that's been very beneficial to me um, is one is that I'm huge about surrounding myself with people who have a prayer life. And we are a faith-based community and a God-led nonprofit outreach. That strictly just plugs people into resources that they may not know about. We do a lot of public speaking. We show up through coalitions and, and, and wherever we can to help plug in. We're not trying to reinvent any, any wheel. You know, um, so, so, that, so that's huge. But, um, you, know, you know, just it's, so recovery, like I said, is different for everybody. Um, whatever works for you, do more than that. Do more of that and, and, and stay connected and stay plugged in. Um, and so that, that, that's it. That's, that's, that's what I want to say. I think that's great. Eric, do, do you give us your phone number one more time and the email? Yeah, absolutely. The direct line is 336-807-6744. And then the email is the, the number 108challenge at gmail.com. Awesome. Eric, thank you so much for everything that you're doing, and I really appreciate you telling your story on the podcast. Well, I sure do appreciate it. I did it because you did such a great job down in Tampa, Florida, <laughs> and so I had no choice. You guys were awesome. And Jason, it's also a privilege to uh, meet you uh, via telephone here. You as well. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Well, I enjoyed Eric's story. I knew a little bit about it before, but not quite so much in depth. And I think, you know, one of the points that he makes, you know, this whole idea of like, you know, marking off a stitch on the baseball yeah. every day, it's just, it's like a discipline point. And I think sure. if that works for people, I think that's a great idea. I, 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 I do as well. And, you know, he said something that I commonly say. It's like there is no cookie cutter, one size fits all way to get someone clean. That's right. And, you know. Or keep them clean. Or keep them clean. And, you know, some people are so indoctrinated with the idea of like, this is the one way I have to do it because this is the way I was told to do it. And there's no other way to do it. And if it doesn't work for me the first time, I'm going to do it a second time. And on your seventh time, it's like, okay, well, maybe you have to do something different. Um, There's no cookie cutter. You can't just say we're going to give the same people who are all individuals, the same type of treatment, no matter who you are or what walk of life you're from, you're all going to do the same thing no matter what and, and hope and hope that it works. And I think it's great that he brings up that, you know, it's, a, it's usually a, kind of a conglomeration of things that will come together and get someone clean. And that's one of the things I like about Narcanon is it brings so many different things to the table to get a person clean, you individualize it to whatever a person needs. You know right. what I mean? And even though you have a set um, series of steps that someone does, right. Every person, you know, reacts to those steps differently and those, 
you're ultimately going to get to the end, but they're right. all different in how, you know, and how they affect people and how people get through them and how they experience them. And I think that, I think that that's, that's huge. I do too. Yeah. And I also thought it was really important that he brought up a huge issue that's going on is that fentanyl is not just in heroin. Right. It is mixed into almost every drug out there. It's mixed right. into marijuana. It's mixed into cocaine. Obviously, he got to experience that. Um, it's mixed into meth. It's it's literally going into everything when it is. It's dealers out there think that, well, this is a great way to make this stuff more addictive. And that's already super addictive. And so is cocaine. You don't need to add something to it to make it more addictive. Yep. You know what I mean? And you can smoke it and you can die. And you can die. And it's crazy to me that so many people out there disbelieve the idea that you can smoke something tainted with fentanyl and it's not going to work at, but here's an example of it actually happening right. and so i want anyone out there who has family members who are addicts to really take note of it just because you're not a heroin addict doesn't mean you're safe from the effects of fentanyl because it can literally be in any drug that a person uses and so we all have to be vigilant out there and we all have to be careful and i still want to urge people out there if you don't know how to use narcan or you don't know where to get it or you don't know what it is or anything like that, you need to go to your neighborhood pharmacy and talk to your pharmacist. Most states have um, uh, laws that allow for Narcan to be sold without a prescription. And what the pharmacist or the, the staff can do is give you a tutorial on how it's used. They're also... Um, there's also a really, really, really good video on YouTube made by the company that makes Narcan that will teach you step-by-step step what to do in case of an overdose and how to administer the drug, which can save someone's life. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, they, and people can always I was going to say, they can always yeah, call you, Jason, right? Yeah, I'll tell them how to do it. I was going to say, um, <laughs> I figured uh, they could call you. They can always call me. Uh, you know, anytime anyone wants to reach out, I'm at the center Monday through Friday. Uh, I can always speak to you and let you know you know, how to handle whatever situation uh, you're dealing with. Uh, and the direct number to Narcan on 877-339-3324. And you one can more time. Talk, you can talk to Jason. <laughs> 877-339-3324. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Jason, thanks for coming As in today. As always, pleasure. I always explain that when you're not here, it's because you are saving somebody's life. And that is the truth. Uh, but I like it when you're here. Yes, I like to be here too. You, Even though I literally have someone in the air coming here <laughs> right now, we actually just took a break so I could call to make sure they got on their flight that was originally delayed. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay. We're done. Go back to saving lives and we'll talk again next week. You got it. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcanonsuncoast.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 